This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Today I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Last time I said that I would continue with my talk about money, how to have money. But a few days ago as I was praying, I really felt the Lord wants me to do another in the series called As He Leads. And I'll continue with the talk about money soon, probably next time. But even with the scheduling of this podcast, I hope to hold everything very loosely and be led as the Spirit leads. So before I get into the content of this podcast, I want to explain a little bit about how it works. For those of you who haven't heard, or just as a reminder for those of you who have, this series called As He Leads, I think this is number eight in the series, is a time when I just turn on the microphones and I start talking. I pray that God will give me some words of encouragement or comfort to build you up, to help you, maybe instruct you. And I don't have any notes in front of me. I don't have any plans. I don't have any other thoughts other than now is the time for me to walk in what I consider to be one of my gifts, which is a gift he's given to many, many people in the church, that prophetic gift. And I'll talk a little bit about it here before I pray and ask for these words I want to remind you that I spoke extensively about this earlier in this podcast. If you go back and listen to episodes 41, 42, and 43, those are all on the prophetic gift. The prophetic gift in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and how that prophetic gift is lived out today in the churches. Right now, I'd like to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and talk a little bit about the prophetic gift just to lay a foundation. I communicated with one listener, and she said that when I first spoke about the prophetic gift and spoke in front of her church, she was skeptical that I said, I feel like the Lord has a word for people here, but she kept an open mind, and she was encouraged. And this is a gift that has been very helpful to very many people over the centuries. And there's nothing magical about it or weird, even though when I first became a Christian, I had real questions about the use of this word and people calling themselves prophets. And it is, um, it's confusing and it can cause division in churches. But I want to look at what the scriptures say, what the Apostle Paul in particular says about this prophetic gift what it is, and how it's to be exercised, and how it's to be received. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul writes, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Well, I'll stop right there. We are encouraged, commanded, to desire spiritual gifts and to eagerly desire them. And I've had people ask me, how do you walk in this gift? How do you start? And I say, well, the first thing is you got to want it. If somebody doesn't believe the gifts are for today, then they certainly aren't going to walk in those gifts, really. And if they don't eagerly desire them, then you may miss all that God has. This is true in many things as we walk with the Lord. 
that our desire is for him and his ways. And then as we earnestly seek him, then he promises to give us a reward. So Paul says we should love one another, walk in the way of love, and also eagerly desire gifts, and especially the gift of prophecy. And in verse 3, Paul defines what this prophetic gift is. Everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Pretty easy. Quite simple. A prophetic word in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, in the church today, will be a word that comes from the Lord in a specific situation to strengthen people. And the word there is edify, to build up, to encourage, and to comfort And a little bit later in chapter 14, Paul adds in instruction as well, that there can be prophetic instruction. And remember the context here, Paul is talking about the way of love, and the gifts should be exercised in love. In the church meetings, when you're gathered together with people, when you're sharing with somebody one-on-one, this prophetic gift is a gift that strengthens people, encourages people, comforts them, and that's love. That's an expression of love. Paul also calls it a manifestation of the Spirit, this physical expression of the spiritual work that God is doing by His Spirit in us. We'll skip down a little bit. In verse 12, Paul says, Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, Try to excel in gifts that build up the church. Well, there you have it. Now, it's worth remarking that the church in Corinth had a lot of problems. Paul wrote to them to address quite a few serious issues. And he says, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts. So they wanted to have spiritual gifts. They were gifted people, but they were misusing those gifts. And Paul is encouraging them to excel, to do well in gifts that build up the church. Let me add some different emphasis there, that build up the church. Not to build up ourselves or our sense of our value or anything, but to build up the church. Now we'll skip down a little further in chapter 14, starting in verse 26. Paul says, What shall we say then, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn, or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, in another language, two, or at the most three, should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. And here we talk about prophets. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. Amen. So here we see that in the New Testament church, Anyone with a prophetic gift, and that can be any member of the congregation who has this gift to encourage and build up and comfort and instruct. Two or three of those can talk, 
And if somebody has something that comes on them, an idea, a revelation, an insight while they're sitting down, the first speaker should stop and submit to the other person. Paul says you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone can be instructed and encouraged. And he says that we should weigh carefully what is said. And this is very, very important as I go into whatever remarks I'm going to make following now. Uh, I encourage you to weigh very carefully what I say. It's your right and your responsibility, if you are a follower of Jesus, and if the Holy Spirit is living within you, you have the right and the responsibility to weigh very carefully what I say. Now, I'm not in a church meeting right now. If somebody has a good idea or another revelation, I can't stop. But feel free to turn me off at any time if something comes to you. As you listen to what I'm saying and then you sense the Lord touching your heart, just turn me off. Turn it off and listen to him. Amen. That's what we want. We want to hear his voice in whatever way he wants to speak to us. It'll be primarily through scripture, through the counsel of other people, through prayer. And it's very important that we understand that the spirit of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. We're not to exercise this gift in some strange, ecstatic way, going into some trance or falling down or eyes rolling back in the back of our heads. God is not a God of disorder. He's a God of peace. And I spoke on this at a Bible school a while ago, and some of the pastors were there. And after the teaching, I sat down with some pastors and other prophetically gifted people, and we started sharing, and one of the pastors commented on how peaceful it was. We were sitting in a circle, all just talking in normal tones of voice, sharing what God was putting on our hearts. And they had grown up in a kind of Pentecostal charismatic situation and expected people yelling and screaming and stomping and <laughs> making a lot of noise. And here we sat in our chairs in a circle, encouraging one another. And there was power flowing, the flow of life was strong. So anyway, let's keep all these things in mind. Let's keep in mind that our God is not a God of disorder. He's a God of peace. Let's keep in mind that we should eagerly desire these gifts. And let's keep in mind that you have the right, the privilege, and the responsibility to weigh carefully what I say. Amen. So the way this works, I will pray, and you won't hear everything in real time. Sometimes I will sit for quite a few minutes quietly as I try to discern what I sense the Lord impressing on my heart. And I'll just edit that out because it's kind of boring to listen to four or five minutes of silence. And I'll share whatever the Lord puts on my heart. And I trust him that he will say words that are encouraging. Not everything, of course, I think will be for you. Maybe one or two of the things that I share will touch you. But then something I share may be for somebody that you know, maybe a word of encouragement for someone else that you're going to be speaking with soon. So let's listen to how the Lord is leading. Uh, as we receive blessings from God, we should let them pass on through us to others. And this is true of all of his blessings. Oh, he blesses us so much, and he's a loving father. He loves to give good gifts to his children. And the Bible says, freely you have been given, so freely give. Amen. As God gives to us so freely, 
then we also should give very freely and share in that characteristic of our loving Father. Amen. All right, so I'll pray and see what the Lord brings to mind. Amen. Father, what do you have for us? Give us ears to hear, please. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is something that actually jumped into my head a few days ago as I was praying about this episode. And sometimes it happens. A scripture will jump into your mind as you're praying and asking the Lord. Sometimes it's just an errant thought. Sometimes it really is God speaking. But I think anything that drives us to the scriptures is a good thing. And Matthew 6, 4 jumped into my mind. And so I've opened it here. And it's interesting. It's in the middle of a sentence, Matthew 6, 4. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. So I'll read the verse, and then I'll read uh, the context, the entire sentence. Verse 4 says, So that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Amen. I want to tell you that the reference jumped into my mind a few days ago, but this is the first time I actually looked it up to see what it says. I wanted that to be fresh. And starting in verse 3 is the entire sentence here. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. It's interesting that this is the scripture that comes up, because I will soon be talking about giving money in this series of episodes about a biblical perspective on money. Jesus says, let your giving be done in secret. There is a spiritual gift of giving, providing for the needs of others. And I know some people who love to give in secret. And you may be one of those people. It's a gift of giving that gives you great joy. And you may not be aware that there's a way to actually give in secret. Amen. So I encourage you to do that. Uh, One example is a friend of mine. He's uh, pretty well-to-do. He was at a restaurant, and there was a wedding party, big group of people. Uh, I guess they were having their, in the United States, we call it the reception dinner. So it's a big dinner for all the families before the wedding the next day. And my friend went over and spoke to someone at the restaurant and said he wanted to pay their bill for that wedding party. Uh, Like I said, he's pretty well-to-do. And he loves to give in secret. So he paid the bill and he left. And we can only imagine the joy of that wedding party when they said, okay, we're ready to settle up and say, well, it's been paid. And it was a a man who was here and uh, we don't know where he is or who he is. That's a beautiful thing to give in secret. Sometimes we eat at restaurants and you can leave a tip for your waiter, a big tip. I know people that have left $100, $200, $50 just as a blessing, and it's done in secret. It's a beautiful thing to receive gifts like that. So give other people that joy of receiving. Amen. And here's a promise. Jesus says that our Heavenly Father will see what we do in secret, and he will reward us. 
This is along that same theme that Jesus touches on pretty often. Don't do what you're going to do in front of people so that they will give you credit or honor. Do your spiritual work in secret, and your Father sees what is done in secret. And here's the promise, he will reward you. There's no doubt about that. It's up to him what that form of reward is, but do your work in secret as unto the Lord. Bless people as much as you can in secret. Now, I've heard it asked, how can you not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing? And a pretty good way to answer that question is, well, just stop thinking about it. Stop talking about it. Actually forget it. It's good to be humble. It's good to forget things like that, to do our work in secret and not look for any praise or honor from any person. Your Father, who sees what you do in secret, he's going to reward you. Amen. So I guess that's an encouragement. If you feel like this is touching your heart, what I'm saying is settling deeply in you and you find some joy of anticipation welling up in you, then do it. Put it into practice. Like you'll hear at the end of every episode, that great thing that Jesus said, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Amen. So if you're touched by thoughts about giving in secret and helping the poor in a secret way, do it. Oh, put it into practice. And God is going to bring a great reward to you. Amen. All right, let's see if the Lord has anything else for us here. Well, something comes to mind that is similar to something I shared at church on Sunday. Our church has a really wonderful part of the service. It's a time after the singing and before the preaching when people are invited to come up and give a testimony and to share what the Lord has been doing in their lives in the previous week. And also, from time to time, I'll have a a word that I want to share, not a testimony, but a prophetic word, a word of encouragement. And what I just had come into my mind is similar, so... I'll uh, share the picture that I had, and then I'll talk through some of what I think it may mean for somebody out there. I saw a person standing alone in sort of in the middle of a big plain, a big open area. Um, I wouldn't say it's desolate, but there's not much that can be identified as trees or rocks or grass or anything, just standing out, very isolated. And I had a sense that this person is standing and looking very intently out at the horizon, looking far away and scanning the horizon for any sign of anything that's out at a distance. And my sense is that uh, somebody listening to what I'm saying is is really seeking the Lord. And you feel um, isolated or out, alone, exposed, I guess, maybe. And you're looking, you're not hopeless, you're not in despair, but you're looking for the Lord. You're looking intently out. And my sense was the person in this image that I see is spending a lot of energy intently looking and seeking and scanning the horizon. 
And so you may be in a place like that where you are just waiting and longing for some sign of life. You're looking and you're longing and you're spending a lot of your spiritual energy uh, looking far away from you to see evidence of God and his work and maybe what's coming next. Amen. But my sense is uh, that the Lord wants you to relax and uh, stop all the striving and the spending the energy to look and seek because the Lord is at work and he has promised that he is near to you. When Jesus walked on the earth, he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And our God is a God who is not distant and hard to approach. Our God is a God who is at hand. He's a God who not only is with us, he's in us. And one of the promises of Jesus is that he'll never leave you, and he'll never forsake you, and he won't leave you as an orphan. An orphan has no parents, is fatherless, is alone in the world. But God has promised that he'll never, ever leave us that way. So even though you may sense that you're standing out alone, you're not alone. And as you look far away to find God, I believe the Lord is saying, shift your perspective, shift your focus, relax, because he's right there with you. You may be looking past him because he is so close. And you can uh, release your sense of a desire to grasp after him or to look for some sign of his um, love, the evidence of his life in your life, and relax and allow him to be with you and trust that he is there with you. And the scripture says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Amen. I believe this is a word for somebody who's listening very much right now. Now is not the time to stand still and either wait for God to come to you or to think that he's so far away you just can't possibly get to him. Now's the time for you in your spirit, maybe in your private time, in a room where you go to pray, to draw near to him. You move toward him a little, and the promise is that he will draw near to you. He doesn't stand at a distance and say, come here to me, keep coming, come on, you're close. No, as soon as we take a step toward him, he comes to us. That same scripture says, resist the devil and he will flee from you and draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Amen. So you may need to resist the devil a little bit. Uh, He's going to run away from you if you resist him. But then don't keep your eyes on the devil and him running away. Turn and draw near to God. And the promise of God is that he is going to draw near to you. Amen. Uh, I also have a sense that maybe this is a word, an encouraging word for somebody else, somebody who's not listening. But one of you, somebody who's listening right now, uh, keep this in your back pocket, (laughs) something that you can pull out when you have a conversation with somebody here in the next week or two, perhaps. Uh, perhaps you're going to sit down and have a meal with somebody or just talk to a stranger even. Uh, just encourage people with the promises of God. 
Amen. Well, let's see if the Lord has anything else for us here. Well, interesting. Psalm 29 just came to mind. And so I've opened it up here and I'm scanning through it. And uh, I believe God wants you to hear Psalm 29. I'll read it. It is 10, 11 verses. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes and lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forests bare. And in his temple all cry, Glory! The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people, and the Lord blesses his people with peace. Amen. That's Psalm 29. One thing that stands out here is that every sentence mentions Jehovah, the Lord, or his voice, which is the expression of who he is. Every single sentence, every verse talks about Jehovah and his strength and his glory. Wow, it's a wonderful worship song and psalm that David has written. It's fully focused on God, 100% focused on the Lord. And it starts with an encouragement for us to ascribe to God his glory and his strength. Amen. Give him glory to his name. There's a whole big section here about his voice, how the word of God is living and active and powerful, and it brings joy and happiness, and it strips away things that we think are solid and standing. The cedar trees of Lebanon, the oak trees, his word is like a flash of lightning. Amen. Wow. He shakes the deserts while he twists the oaks. And people say, wow, glory, what glory. The glory of the Lord is that radiant expression of who he is. And his voice is that expression of who he is. Amen. And it ends with a promise. Jehovah gives strength to his people. And he blesses his people with peace. Shalom. Amen. That is his character. This is a promise of his that he gives strength to his people. I want to be very careful here not to fall into a modern way of thinking about the scriptures. It's very easy for us to try to find ourselves 
in the middle of these scriptures. What is he saying about me? How does this make me feel? This is a big part of modern culture, the Western world in particular, self, thinking that self is the most important thing that we can ponder or consider, and God is the most important thing that we can set our mind on, not self. And that's why this psalm is excellent, because every single sentence is about Jehovah God and who he is and his character, his strength, his glory. Amen. His power, his majesty, how he makes an entire country, an entire area skip like a calf (laughs) to bring that youthful joy into an entire people. Amen. He is enthroned above. He is enthroned as the king forever. Amen. Let's turn our eyes to him and not on ourselves. Amen. I encourage you to read through it a few times over the coming several days. The Lord wants us to meditate on his word. And I found that a really good way to meditate on the word of God is to take a section uh, like a psalm like this or a series of verses and read them every morning for maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Don't try to memorize them. Don't even really try to study them, but meditate on them. Read it. Think about it. Ask the Lord to open up understanding and do that every day for maybe two weeks or three weeks. And at the end of that time, you will have that scripture memorized and God will reveal things to you. Amen. He sees what is done in secret and I promise you, he will reward you. Not only does Mike promise you that, Jesus himself promises. Amen. That's good. Amen. Let's see if God has anything else for us here. Okay, so, again, I'll share what I've seen in an image in my mind. And as I share it, I think we'll have more clarity about it. (laughs) Um, I uh, see a picture of a person standing by the ocean or by a large body of water. It's like the sea. It's not a lake. Standing on the shoreline, on the sand. Uh, The sea is calm. Uh, There's hardly any waves at all. And the sky is cloudless. There's no threat of a storm. And a person is standing there at the edge of the water, barefoot, uh, almost to the point where the water is touching their feet. And... I guess, first of all, I'll share the impressions that I have. Uh, This person is standing and looking out over the water and has a sense that uh, that is the direction they should go, out into the sea. Uh, There's no boats in sight. (laughs) There's there's no floating devices. There's nothing there other than this person standing by the sea with a sense of direction. The water recedes off into the distance. There's no evidence of land. It's just apparently endless water ahead. And I have a sense that the person begins to walk into that water with a sense of fear that as they go out, it's going to get over their head and they're not going to get very far. But they still know that they need to go out, away from the shore, directly away from the shore, out into 
the ocean into this sea. And I think God has an encouraging word. If, if you feel like you're in a spot like that, where you're on the edge of a new time in life, and you have a sense that you're being called into something that seems endless, or at least you don't see the end of it, and it seems deep and overwhelming, and you don't have an idea of how you're going to manage it because you don't have a life preserver, you don't have a boat, you're being called to walk out into this expanse of the unknown, and you're concerned. Like, yep, God is calling me into this thing, but it is deep and it is scary. And the further I go out into it, the less I know about what it is and the farther away I get from the things that I'm familiar with. Solid ground. Amen. Yeah, I think this is for somebody who's listening. And my sense is that the water is not as deep as it may appear. And as you walk, it doesn't get deep. It stays sort of knee deep for a long, long way. I don't see the end of the journey. I don't have a sense of how it ends. But as you walk into what you think is going to be deep and overwhelming and unknown, you're actually going to find that it's not that scary. (laughs) You're walking knee deep in water. Your feet are still going to be firmly on the ground. From a distance, it looks like it could drop off to an abyss, to something very deep and frightening. But really, it's not going to be that frightening. It'll be more like wading. Amen. It doesn't even get above knee deep for a long, long, long time. So I think that is a word for somebody. I, I hope it encourages you. If God brings you to the edge of some new time in life and you're unsure What is it going to be? How's it going to end up? It seems scary. Well, first I want to say welcome to life. (laughs) That's what life is. And welcome to the life of a disciple, because very often God calls us into things where we are way out of our comfort zone. And he promises that he's going to get us through the things that he calls us to. Elizabeth Elliot says, it is always possible to do the will of God. Because what he calls you to, he promises to give you the grace, which is the strength to be obedient. He'll give you the grace to get through what he's calling you to. It is always possible to do the will of God. So I'm encouraging you. You go ahead and step out. Don't stick your toe in the water and kind of get a feel for it. You just start walking. You walk into this situation. You walk into this unknown future with boldness. Don't run, don't be crazy, don't lose control, but walk firmly, setting your feet down. Don't worry, the bottom is going to be there. You're not going to fall off into something over your head. You walk, you move into it. Go ahead, move into it. You're not alone. Amen. God has provided. He has provided the things that you don't see. They're already in place. The things that you're going to put your feet on, these firm foundations as you move in his will into this new part of life. Amen. He has provided everything already. It's there. So don't be self-concerned. Don't worry about uh, failure or loss. Don't worry about looking silly. 
You just move ahead. Keep your eyes up. Keep moving on out into the things that God has for you. Don't slow down and feel with your feet. Don't look down out of concern. Keep your head up and move. Amen. Yeah, that. the more I talk about it, the stronger I feel about it. The Lord says, fear not, for I am with you. Amen. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So what is there to be afraid of? Absolutely nothing. So be fearless. Amen. Take strides of faith. Amen. Good. Amen. That's good. Let me let me pray a little bit more. See if we have anything else. Uh, yeah. We'll see if God has anything to share. Well, James 3 just came to mind. And I think starting in verse 3, it was really verse 6, is what I would focus on. But we'll go back a little bit. Remember the book of James was one of the earliest books that were written in the New Testament. He was martyred. This is James, the brother of Jesus. He was martyred, I think, in A.D. 62. So his book was written pretty early on. Um, before, I think, quite a few of the letters of Paul. And it's good to think of the book of James like a New Testament book of Proverbs. So he gives a variety of bits of wisdom with themes that wind through the text. It's not really a letter, even though it is addressed to people. It's a book of Proverbs. It's wisdom. And he returns to the theme of the tongue a few times. He spends some time talking about it. So let me just read what James says here in James chapter 3, starting in verse 3. We put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal. I just realized somebody listening may not know exactly what a bit is. When you have a horse, it's a piece of metal that goes into the mouth and it's held between the teeth of the horse and the reins attach to both sides of the bit. So if you pull on the right rein with your right hand, it'll pull the horse's head to the right. And so James is saying that human beings put bits, these little pieces of metal, they're not that big really, just a metal bar with a couple of loops on each end. We put that into the mouth of a horse and and then you can turn the whole animal with that little thing. And James continues, or take ships as an example. Though they are so large and they're driven by very strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. There's another image. A very small piece of wood relative to the size of the ship and the power of the wind. This little rudder, this little piece of wood, will turn that ship wherever the pilot wants it to go. Verse 5. And likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Amen. (laughs) The tongue can be so prideful. (laughs) Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. This is James again, verse 6. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, setting the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Oh boy, good old James. Wow. You know, I I really like that he he calls it like it is. 
Amen. Verse 6, the tongue is a fire. It's a world of evil among the parts of the body. Yeah, why is that? The tongue is what allows our thoughts to be expressed into this world and then to land on the ears of others. It is the tool that is the avenue for so much pain and damage that's been done in the world. Amen? Wherever you are, raise your hand if you've ever been hurt by what somebody said to you. (laughs) I can imagine a lot of hands going up around the world right now. Amen. And James is saying, you know, this tongue, it's so small, but it can corrupt the whole person. It can burn down the whole course of a life. And this fire comes up out of the evil that's within us. Amen. And verse 7, James considers all kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. No man can tame that tongue. God can tame the tongue by his spirit. Amen. You know, we really can't do it. We may try to control it, but at some point that evil comes out. What is inside a man comes out and makes him unclean. It's not what goes into a person that makes him unclean. And God wants to clean us out. Give us a new life. Give us a new birth. Give us a new spirit. You want to know how to be perfect? Scripturally, how to never have a fault. If anyone is never at fault in what he says... He is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. That's what James says. If you want to be faultless and perfect, able to control everything, you've got to control that tongue. You've got to control the tongue. Allow the Lord to do that work in your heart. Amen. To have something good that comes up out of you instead of that wickedness. I was talking to somebody the other day. They were apologizing basically for being grumpy, being upset because they're really tired and things were not going the way they wanted to. And we talked about how important it is at times like that to just stop talking, stop complaining, stop grumbling. I'm sure all of us have been in situations where somebody in a group is complaining and grumbling and making noise and it really infects the whole group of people. And I will confess that I'm that person. If I give in to all that stuff, I'll just start complaining and grumbling. And we got to pray that God will give us that grace to just be quiet. And I want to say shut up, but that's, that's a little bit harsh and a little bit mean. But we've just got to stop talking. And I'm saying we. Amen. So yeah, I think this is the word of the Lord for us. Children grumble and complain. Immature people grumble and complain. Immature people curse others. Loveless people, selfish people, they'll curse other people, say terrible things to tear them down. Those who love others and consider the needs of others will not say those harsh words, will not complain, will not draw attention to themselves even. I've got a friend who complains about what to me are pretty small and insignificant things. And I want to tell my friend, 
you know, there are a lot of people in the world suffering far worse than anything you've ever tasted. And they're not complaining about it. They're pressing on with the Lord and learning those good lessons. This brings to mind something that I heard, and I don't have time to look it up here. I don't even know how I would look it up, really. So I won't mention the name of who said it, because I'm not quite sure who said it. But it was a lady who had lived a very fruitful life in Christian ministry. And as she got to her last days, she suffered terribly, uh, physically. And somebody said to her, How is it that you have served God so well over these many years, and there's so much good fruit as a result of your life, and yet he's allowing this suffering into your life here as you've grown older? And she said, Oh, he's just putting the finishing touches on my character. Amen. She wasn't complaining or grumbling. She was allowing the Lord to do in her what he intended to do through the hardships that he allowed into her life. And she knew him well enough to know that he's a loving father who will never give her more than she can handle. He'll never allow her to have a temptation that's too great. He'll always provide a way out from under that temptation. And when we suffer, there's a great temptation to complain or argue or be mad at God. But God will give us a way out of that temptation. Amen. I encourage you all, let's all of us control our tongues and say only words that are good and encouraging. Let's use our tongues to build people up, to encourage people, to comfort people, to train them, to teach them. Amen. And if somebody else has got a good word to say, then let's be quiet and let other people speak out of the goodness that God has given them. Well, I think I'll close for now. And hopefully the next time I'll be talking about having money as we continue to talk about a biblical perspective on money. And until then, I pray that anything that I have shared today that is of the Lord will bear fruit in your heart. And anything that I've shared that is not of him will be quickly forgotten and that we'll live as if it was never said at all. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening and God bless you all.